I'm going to ask you to take your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're turning to Ephesians 5, I want to go back to our semester theme, Life Under the Sun, out of the book of Ecclesiastes. We have been making our way through the book, and we are actually halfway through the book. We have just finished, last time uh, we looked at Ecclesiastes together, chapter 6. And so as we move into chapter 7 and the rest of the book, I wanted to take a break, and I wanted to come back to the main idea of the book. You'll remember that Solomon was pursuing a very profound question. And if you go all the way back to chapter 1, the question is simply this. What advantage is there to a man after he has invested everything that he has invested for 70-plus years of living life under the sun? When you take everything that's been invested, when you put all of the effort and energy and all of the twists and turns that a man's life takes, that a person's life takes, and they get to the end of all of that, what is the, what is the profit? What is the advantage? What is the gain? We noted that that idea had an accounting flavor to it, and it was literally looking at life in a column of wins and losses, gains and losses. And so Solomon's question is one that at some point every individual asks. What is the advantage to living life the way I intend to live it? And Solomon's answer to that was a, was a fierce answer. It was a piercing answer. The answer that Solomon arrived at was this. There is no advantage to that. And then he went on to explain why that was the case. He went on to explain that as he had observed life and as he had thought deeply about life and as he had explored all the different venues and avenues of life, he had come to an observation, and that is this, that all of life was, and he uses a word that we have been talking about the entire time we have been together in the book of Ecclesiastes, and the word was Hevel. It's similar to the name Abel in the first opening chapters of your Bible. And it speaks to the elusiveness, the fluidity, the fleetingness of life. That no matter how hard you try, no matter how deep you dig, no matter where you look, no matter how much you explore, at the end of the day, when you come to the end of all of your exploration, all of your thinking, all of your experiencing, you are going to come to the same conclusion that Solomon comes to, and that is this, that life, particularly the meaning of your life, is elusive. And he explains why. And let me read you the text out of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, Solomon says, I the preacher, that's, he's now assuming a role of instructing God's people uh, about what he has learned. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that is done under heaven. In other words, I, I applied myself. I, I used all of the principles of uh, experimentation, of education, of searching and researching, and I looked at everything under the sun, and here's what I concluded about life. It is Hevel. And how he describes that Havel life is this. It is an unhappy business. You can see this in verse uh, 13. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, 
All is Havel. Your Bible will have the word vanity there. All is vanity and a striving, a chasing after wind. And then he explains why this is the case in a very enigmatic verse. In verse 15, he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. In other words, the world that you and I live in has pieces that are twisted. When you take the world and you pull it apart to try to understand how it all fits together, you are going to immediately discover two things. Some of the pieces are bent and twisted, and you can't get them to fit in the picture. And then you're going to discover a second thing. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is missing, what is lacking, cannot be counted. It's not just that some of the pieces that you're looking at and trying to fit together are bented and twisted out of their original shape. You are actually missing key pieces. You are missing key components. And so when you try to put life together in a way to discern its meaning, the fact that the pieces are twisted and some of the pieces are missing and you don't even know how many or what those pieces are, make it impossible for you to figure out the true meaning of life under the sun. And so that brings up the question, if that's true, then as a believer, as a follower of Yahweh, what are we supposed to do with this life. And Solomon is going to take the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes to describe what life is like so that you really do see that life is twisted and missing pieces. And then he's going to come to chapter 12, and he's going to tell you where you can actually find wisdom to make sense of that life under the sun that is twisted, broken, and missing pieces. And so you go to chapter 12, and we saw this early on in our study together. In chapter 12, verse 9, Solomon says, besides being wise, it isn't just that I had this earthly wisdom. I had all the money necessary to pursue anything I wanted to pursue. I, I threw myself into every major category that most people look for in life to find significance. So when people go to find significance, they, they look in certain categories. They look, for example, in the work of their hands. And so I threw myself into the work of my hands. I, I, I went to that category, and I plumbed everything I could plumb in that category. I, ex, I spared no expense. I, I hired, I, I, I bought, I purchased, I did everything necessary to thoroughly examine that category of life that people assign meaning to and that they go to to find significance in life. And when I got all the way through that category, I, find, I, I found the same answer was true that, that I, I thought of at the beginning, that life is an enigma, that, that I'm not going to find significance in that category. And Solomon said, okay, I went to a different category. I went to the category of pleasure. And I didn't withhold uh, myself from any legitimate pleasure. I took all of my resources. I used all of my position and my power and my influence and my, my uncountable wealth, and I plumbed the depths of that category. I explored every conceivable legitimate pleasure. And at the end of the day, when I got to the end of that category, I found the same answer that, that I found when I went to the category of work. I found that life was an enigma. 
that there were broken and twisted pieces and there were pieces that were missing. And just like I got to the end, I plumbed the category of work. I, I also plumbed the category of experience and pleasure. And I came to the same conclusion that all of these missing pieces and all of these bent pieces made life an enigma. It was elusive. It was like chasing the wind. I could feel the wind. I could see the effect of the wind, but I couldn't catch the wind. I couldn't control the wind. I couldn't predict the wind. Solomon said, you know, actually, I didn't just go to the category of work and pleasure. I went to the category of power. And I used all of my experience, all of my authority, and I, I, I did everything that I wanted to do with the power that I had, because there's a category in life that people really believe that if I can just get enough authority, if I can just get enough power, if I could just have enough influence, I could control life, I could figure life out, I could do what needs to be done in life, and I could find meaning and significance for my life, and sometimes if we're altruistic, for the life of other people. And Solomon said, I went that route. At the beginning, I, I just want you to know, I, I went to the category of work. I went to the category of, of wealth and pleasure. And then I went to the category of power and influence. And I climbed about as high as I could. In fact, if you go to the record of Solomon's life in First and Second Kings and even in Chronicles, you'll discover that Solomon's influence was global. Here is a king of a small country. If you've ever been to Israel, it is a tiny country inland, bounded by mountains, not, not really having much access to ports, and certainly not a very influential kingdom in, as far as kingdoms in the ancient world went. And here is a king of that little tiny kingdom, and all of the kings and all of the queens and all of the leaders of the world are coming to Solomon's court to hear for themselves and to experience his legendary wisdom. And by the way, that's a foretaste of another king who is going to sit on David and Solomon's throne. And we read about that king and all the kings of the world are gonna come to him for wisdom. And they're gonna marvel at his wisdom and his beauty and his power. And that certainly happened to Solomon on a lesser level. And he said, even after all of that, here's what I discovered when I put my hand to work and when I put my hand to experience and wealth and when I put my hand to the idea of influence and power and authority. And I came to the end of all of that. I discovered the same thing to be true in all of the categories, that life is elusive. Life is an enigma. I can't control it, and I can't predict it. And then Solomon said, there's one more category that I went after. I went after the category of work. I went after the category of pleasure. I went after the category of power and influence. But I decided that maybe the category that would have the answer to all of it was the category of wisdom and intelligence. And so I gave myself to wisdom. I searched out everything under the sun. I I explored to an infinite degree, as far as I could on a human level, with all of my power, all of my authority, all of my wealth, all of my expertise, I put all of that to work in the animal kingdom, and I explored the animal kingdom. I went to the plant kingdom, and I explored all of the fauna and all of the flora. I looked for wisdom 
everywhere it could be found. And I accrued to myself an immense amount of wisdom. But even at the end of the day, I discovered something. I discovered in my search for wisdom that, that no matter how much human wisdom I can gather together, it's never enough to figure out life under the sun. It's not sufficient to figure out how the twisted pieces actually were designed to work, and it's never enough to figure out what the missing pieces even are, much less where they fit in the picture. And so when I looked for wisdom and I found wisdom, I discovered that the same thing happens to the wise man as happens to the fool. Life is an enigma. And so that brings us to the question that we all want to ask Solomon. So Solomon, at the end of all of your searching, where do people actually go to navigate life? Because you actually tell us in the book, you actually describe something in the book. You start talking, and as we go through the book, chapter by chapter by chapter, and we read about this search that Solomon is on for wisdom, and we start realizing that everywhere Solomon points us, we come to the conclusion that life is Havel, that it is vanity. Solomon along the way begins to tell us about a group of people who actually are having a different experience. There are people in the book, and we've been encountering them along the way, who eat their food with gladness, who go home and enjoy their wife and their children with joy. And they are in contradistinction to everybody else that you're reading about in the book. These people, whoever they are, are living in the same world that Solomon is describing. They are, they are living in the same world where life is an enigma. They, they experience what it's like to live in a kingdom where at the very top layers of government, where you expect righteousness, you experience and see wickedness. They live in that same country. They experience the same effects of life under the sun. They, uh, the same thing happens to them that happens to everybody else. The same thing happens to them that happens to their neighbor. The, and the same thing happens to the human race that happens to the animal kingdom. We die and our bodies are buried and they get corrupted. And these people have those same experiences, but Solomon along the way points them out and he says to them, now there is a group of people and God has given them a gift. And the gift that God has given them is the ability to, to have joy in the midst of this enigma, in the midst of this riddle. And, and you don't read about them in every verse. I mean, as you go through the chapters, you, you've experienced them, you've spotted them, and by the time you get to chapter 7, you want to know about these people. Who are these people that Solomon has been pointing to almost as a aside? You know, he's describing the frustrations of life, the futility of life, the fearfulness that comes in life, all of the, the things that are broken in life. And as we're journeying, as we're riding along with Solomon, Solomon says, now, by the way, there are those people over there, and they go home at night and they enjoy their family, and they experience joy. And we write a little further, and Solomon keeps telling us about life under the sun. He says, oh, by the way, those people over there, that man goes home, and he has great joy and pleasure in the fact that he has a wife that was given to him by God. And the more we hear these little asides that Solomon throws at us as we're journeying along the way with him, the more we want to know about these people. 
Who are these people and how in the world did they discover joy in the midst of all of this brokenness? And by the way, that's exactly what you and I need because the world hasn't changed since Solomon's day. In fact, if we get to the New Testament, we quickly discover that the world not only hasn't changed, the world is actually waxed, to use the old King James language, it's waxed, it's grown deeper and deeper in its wickedness. Its brokenness has become more accentuated. All of the missing pieces are more glaring. All of the frustrations are much more accessible. And the impact of all of that on the, the image bears that are living under the sun is accentuated, it's accelerated, and it's intensified to the point that we are saying in even greater numbers than in Solomon's day, there's actually no advantage to being alive. We talked about that in an earlier message that there's actually uh, many people today in today's world who are reaching the conclusion that Solomon said, when he talked early in the book and he said, actually the best person is the person who has never been born. And how many times have we found our, ourselves in a moment of deep pain or frustration saying, you know what, I just wish I'd never even been born. I wish I'd never been exposed to all of this, impacted by all of this and having to live with all of this. And so Solomon has been dealing with us in a very forthright way, he's been telling the truth. And that's what he said in chapter 12. He said, I, I got words from a shepherd. A shepherd gave me words, and I'm giving you those words. And these words are true words. I'm going to tell you the truth about life. And they are actually good words because they will give you delight if you understand the words. And so the words we're reading in Ecclesiastes are intended to tell us the truth about life, and they're also intended to bring us delight in the midst of this life. And Solomon says they're like goads. They, they are like, they, they are intended to prod you in the right direction. They're, they're like the, 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 the instrument a shepherd would use to guide the sheep along the right path and to keep them from going down a wrong path. And so as you think about Ecclesiastes, that's one of the things this book is intended to do. And then he said they're like nails or like pegs, and they're intended to be uh, what you anchor your life to. They are intended to give you direction in life, but they're also intended to give you stability in life. And Solomon is going to sum it all up by saying to you this, in the days of your youth, as you start out your life, here's the wisdom. Remember your creator. Remember, if you, if you think back to how we talked about that word, is not a mental activity. It's not like I'm taking a test, I'm taking a quiz, and, and the teacher asked a question from way back in the first week of the semester, and I can sort of remember her or him talking about that, and man, I am concentrating. I'm trying to recall that lecture, that conversation. I can see it on the page. I've studied. I can actually see the page. I can see the picture on the page, but I'm trying to remember the wording. I'm trying to remember the answer. That's not the idea here. The idea here is turn. It's a moral word. It is an alignment word. Solomon is saying, at the, at the very early stage of your life, in your youth, align yourself with God. Remember your creator. Get on God's page. Figure out what God is doing because that is where you will find the wisdom that you need. So with that in mind, I ask you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. 
because I want you to see a New Testament passage where the Apostle Paul is actually building on that idea. Here is a community of people in the city of Ephesus, and some of you have been there, particularly some of you that have gone on the Greece and Turkey study tours that we do as a university. You've been to these cities. The city of Ephesus was filled up with people who were highly intelligent people. They had elevated their city to one of the greatest cities in the ancient Near East uh, part of the world. Uh, They had a huge port in their city. The city was filled with enlightenment. The city was filled with the knowledge of the day. It was uh, the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the beautiful temple of Diana. It was a, a city that was filled with commerce. It was filled with education. It was a city that, that if you were looking for wisdom in the ancient world, this is where you would go. And in the middle of that city, there were a group of people who had come to be enlightened. They had been brought in to the mystery of how God had created and designed the universe. All of a sudden, in the midst of all of that, uh, all of those people in Ephesus, there were a group of people that God had uh, opened their eyes, and he had said to them, I want to show you the bent pieces, and I want to show you how they fit. And I want to supply for you the missing pieces. Because when you see how all of these pieces fit, you will know how to live in the midst of this city that is so broken and so bent. So in the midst of all of these enlightened people who were really darkened, if you can see the the contrast that Paul is making, the irony that Paul is making in the book, the people in Ephesus, as wise as they were, and as religious as they were, and as economically successful as they were, and, and as brilliant architecturally as they were, as they had built these temples and these architectural structures that literally captured the attention of the ancient world, here in the midst of all of these people were a group of people who had been drawn out of them, and they had been truly enlightened. They had been given true wisdom. And what have they done with the wisdom of the world? They had in the book of Acts, if you go back to Acts and you read about these people, they had taken all of the books of wisdom, all of the books of power. If you have a King James Bible, it talks about the books of magic, the idea of wisdom. They had taken all of this wisdom by which they had attempted to control life and all of the sources of their earthly power, and they had burned them. And the rest of the city could not imagine a group of people doing something so foolish. How could you turn away from all of that power, all of that influence, all of that wisdom, and what have you turned to? You don't even have a God that you can see with your eyes. That's why you don't even have a statue of that God. You don't even have a temple. Your God is so powerless, you can't even see him. He has no influence at ever. You have no, no, no temple to him. And, uh, and you, all you can do is gather together. And, and Paul says to these people, actually, you are his temple. You have wisdom that not even Solomon had in all of his earthly quests. And so that's the backdrop to what I want to show you here in Ephesians chapter 5. He says in verse 15 of chapter 5, look carefully then, how you walk. We're right in the middle of the second half of the book, and for 
two chapters now, beginning in chapter four and going all the way to the end of the book, Paul has been saying to enlightened people, listen, God has opened your eyes. He has shown you the truth. He has given you an amazing insight into how the world works. And he's given you an even more amazing insight into your place in that world. And now that you have all of this insight and all of this knowledge, here's what it should do for you. It should affect the way you live. You're to walk worthy of all of this incredible calling that God has extended to you. That was chapter four, verse one. And so you're to walk worthy of your calling. You're to walk not as Gentiles in chapter four, verse 17. And you can go down the line. He's been talking here in this section of Ephesians about how we walk. And then we get to the very end. And and he says here in verse 15, be careful, look careful, give careful thought to how you walk. And then he says, here's here's what, what I mean by that. Do not walk as unwise people, but as wise. So what is he talking about? When he says, don't walk as foolish people, but as wise. Who were the foolish people? Who were the unwise? And I'm going to suggest to you that in the context of Ephesians, the unwise people were some of the smartest people on the planet. Whoever these unwise were, they built the temple of Diana. They had established the site of a city that went on to be one of the most incredible and key and strategic cities in the ancient world, in ancient Greece and Turkey. They had established commerce. They had uh, incredible uh, laws. They, they had city government. They, had, they were some of the wisest people in that part of the world, and their city was evidence of that. And Paul is looking at them, and he is saying about them to these people, he is saying to them, now do not walk, do not live like they, because they are actually the unwise. So you live as someone who has been brought in to true wisdom. So what does that look like? Let me give you three things that I want to make sure you catch in verses 15 down to verse 21. What do people who have been enlightened by God, who who have been brought into the understanding of what's missing and what's been twisted? Remember Solomon talked about things are missing and things are twisted? So when God opens your eyes as a Christian young person, when you align yourself with God, when you actually remember your creator in the days of your youth, what happens? And and Paul will, will echo Solomon, and he will say to you, God will give you insight into the truth about things as they really are. It's not just that you'll look at what Solomon told you about the world and and say, okay, that's the truth. You're also going to realize that God is telling you an even greater truth about that world, and that's going to delight your heart. And it's going to guide your steps, and it's going to anchor and stabilize your life as you go through life. And so as a young person coming into the knowledge and the wisdom that God is giving you in his word, what does God say wise people do? And here's the first thing. Wise people make the most of every opportunity God sends their way under the sun. Notice how uh, Paul states it. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, not as pagans, 
not as unredeemed people who only have a certain amount of human wisdom, but as redeemed people whose eyes have been opened, who have come to know the truth about the world under the sun because they are aligned with the one who is sitting on the throne of heaven above the sun, you make the best use of time because the days are evil. And so we would say it this way, people who are aligned with God, people who have actually come to see the truth about this world, have recognized something about this world. This world is, is irredeemably broken. It is irreparably broken. It is, it is missing parts that no human endeavor can ever adjust for or ever supply. It is truly a bent and broken world. It is ethically bent. It is morally broken. It, it, is, it is spiritually dark. And when you realize that and you understand that that is the environment you are in, Paul says to you, now make the most of your life in that environment. Don't live for the things that everybody else in Ephesus is living for. He's going to say the same thing to the Colossians. Set your affections, set your heart desires, set the things that you live for, not on things of the earth, not on what's down here below in this broken and bent world, but set your affections on things above. And he's not talking about things that are a little more elevated, like let, let's, let's go for the elevated things in life, like refined living or, or, or maybe good architecture or, or good food, good wine, good music. He's not talking about the elevated things of life under the sun. He's actually talking about a whole different category. He's actually saying you have to lift your eyes much higher than that. You actually have to lift your, your eyes so that you see the throne of heaven and you understand the words that are coming from the one who sat or sits on that throne and you are going to align your life, your vision, your thinking to that wisdom. Set your affection on things above, not on all of the beauty in all of its bentness and brokenness and, and moral uh, iniquity on earth. Set your affections on things above. Why? Because you live in a broken world. Now, I think you and I can both talk openly and honestly here today, and the truth is that many, many people in our, your stage in life and my stage in life are living, even as Christians, for things that are on this earth. I mean, that's really the truth. I mean, think about the life values that ought to really govern every one of our lives. And, and if you really want the truth, this is what, what I pray for when I think about our student body and the incredible opportunity that we have to do life together for eight semesters uh, during your college years. The authority, inerrancy, and sufficiency of Scripture. Who else on this planet believes that? I mean, seriously, we live in a planet full of people who have amazing skills and abilities. They know how to build buildings that far surpass anything in Ephesus. Just think about the advances that have been made in the lifetime of your family, your mom and dad's lifetime, or your grandparents' lifetime. We went from a country, a world where people moved when they did move, maybe 20, 25 miles. They lived their entire life in, in a radius of about a 25-mile circle. Their, their mode of transportation, we went from riding around in, in wheeled vehicles that were pulled by, by livestock or by horses to actually taking a person and putting that person on the, on the moon. I mean, it's immense 
the, the advancements that have been made. Think about the advancements in your own life, artificial intelligence, all of the things that have happened even in the course of your own life. And, and Paul is actually telling you something very counterintuitive to this world. Paul is saying to you, do not align yourself with all of that wisdom. Do not set your affection. Do not set the, the, the course of your life. Do not determine the direction of your life by all of that wisdom. And that wisdom is very prevalent today. It, it shows up everywhere. It is constantly appealing to you and, and showing you the advantage of aligning your life with that wisdom. And Paul is saying, now, wise people truly wise people, the people that we read about in Solomon every once in a while, those people have a very different place where they go to find wisdom. And if you are going to live as one of those people, you need to live as a wise person, a truly wise person, and not as a foolish person who is bought into the wrong set of words, the wrong set of wisdom. And, and the way that you know that is this. You assess the wisdom of the world the way that Solomon did. You say no matter, no matter how attractive it is, no matter how powerful it looks, no matter what it appears to accomplish, it is bent and it is missing important pieces. And you as a young person, because of God's grace to you, God has opened your eyes. Think about how we talk about salvation. The God who caused light to shine, Paul talks to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, the God who caused light to shine in the beginning has caused light to shine in your heart. In Ephesians 1, he talks about the eyes of our understanding being opened. You have been, if you are a true born-again believer, you have been enlightened. And Paul is, is coming to that truth, and he is saying to you, a, a person who is in that category is actually able to access a wisdom that is not available to anybody else on the world. It's not that Bibles aren't available to lost people. I mean, lost people have Bibles all the time. It's just that they don't, they don't do with their Bible what you do with your Bible. They don't see it as an authority in their life that governs every part of their life, their morality, their marriage, their, their life's mission and purpose, they, they, the way they think. They don't see the Bible as an authority, and they certainly don't think the Bible is sufficient. And that's why here, when, when we talk about setting your affection on things above, it starts with this. It starts with a book that you hold in your hand that we are talking about this morning that is governing everything we say, and we agree together that as we go through life, whatever this book says, it is the source of our authority. It is sufficient for life and godliness. And this book tells us then about a person. It tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us that he is to be treasured as supreme above every other thing in life. In other words, he is to have supremacy in every part of our life. What person on earth is going to give that place to Jesus? There's only one group of people who have come to see who Jesus really is. Nobody else on this planet, even if they like Jesus, is going to be willing to give Jesus the lordship of their life. And that's, that's what differentiates you as a student here. And by the way, I recognize that, that not every single student listening to me this morning may actually be an enlightened person. Some of you may be here 
And the reason all of this makes no sense to you is because you have your heart set on things below. Your affections have been aligned with the wisdom of this world. And the reason for that for some of you is because that is the only wisdom you have ever seen. Because you have been resisting perhaps what God has been trying to do in drawing you to himself. Where all of a sudden you are realizing, you know what, I, I need to have a relationship. I, I had a conversation recently with an individual, and this individual said to me, um, I know that I'm not a Christian. I know I'm lost. And I respected that comment. We had a wonderful conversation. That conversation didn't happen like six years ago, in the hinterlands of our country, that conversation happened on this campus. I know that I'm not a believer. And you know, I I think that there could be others like this person who, if we really got honest, I mean, Paul talks about this, right? Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. That, That isn't a bad exercise for many of us to do as we live our lives. Are we really the kind of people who have been truly enlightened by the wisdom that Solomon has been talking about and that Paul talks about? Paul says, wise people make the most of every opportunity that God sends their way. And what that means is they they have actually embraced the wisdom that comes from God. That's how you make the most of every opportunity. You you make the most of every opportunity because you have embraced the right source of wisdom. So wise people make the most of every opportunity. And then secondly, wise people discover and do the will of God in every circumstance that God brings into their life under the sun. Look at verse 17 of this passage. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not live and think as the people around you who have not been enlightened the way you have been enlightened, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul says the way that you are going to set your affection on things above, the way that you are going to live and take advantage of every opportunity that God sends you in this broken, bent, missing part, sin-cursed world is when you make full advantage of every opportunity. The only way for you to do that is for you to, to go on a search, on a quest like Solomon, to spare no expense, to spare no effort. And here's what you're looking for. Here's what you're questing after. You are looking to discern the will of God. What is God's will in this circumstance? I mean, we're doing that right now as a campus. We're in the middle of a pandemic. You're feeling the effect of it. We're feeling the effect of it. We are are doing everything we can, and you're doing everything you can because we want this semester to be an amazing experience for you. We realize it's an unforgettable experience for all of us. I will never forget this semester, and I know you won't either. And on a human level, we're running around trying to do all the things, but But yesterday, about five or six of us met together, and we spent an hour together, and at at the heart of that meeting was this, what do we believe God wants us to do? And, And you know, that's not just the thing we do for the pandemic. That's really a thing that every one of us needs to do in every area of life. You didn't expect this to happen. I mean, you were in a relationship, and you thought that relationship was going to result in an engagement, and you were all prepped for that, and it blew up. 
And you've got to put all of those pieces back together. And we can make all the jokes about it. And we can say all the things we want to say about, well, you know what? Better that it blew up now and not after. But, but it doesn't change the pain of that moment. And, and you have to figure out what God's will for you is in that moment. Some of you are, are in, the, uh, in the course of a semester and, and you had enough money to come and you had enough faith to come for this semester and you are trying to discern what is God's will for me. Some of you are seniors and this is your last semester. And the world that you were expecting to go into is a very different world than you anticipated. And you are trying to figure out, God, what is your will for me? I'm an accounting major. Where am I going to get a job? I'm a marketing major. Nobody's hiring marketing majors right now. Where am I going to get a job? I was hoping to get into to nursing school. I was hoping to get into pre-med. Where am I going to get a job? The world as I knew it, the world as I was anticipating it changed. And in this evil, broken, bent, twisted, elusive world where we can't figure out the future, what is your will? Wise people make the most of every opportunity God sends, and the way they do that is by going on a quest, sparing no effort and no energy and no, no expense to discover what God wants them to do in whatever circumstance they are in. And that brings me to the very last thing this morning, and that is this. So how do I discover that wisdom? How do I discover that will? Man, God, I, I'm, I'm with Solomon. I get it. I, I, I live in a world that's bent. It's broken. It's elusive. I can't figure it out. It's missing pieces. I, I'm having a lot of aha moments here. I didn't realize that. I live in a world that has tasted sin. It has been shaped by sin. You put that world in, in, a, in a curse or under a curse. The pieces are bent and they're missing. And, and no wonder I can't figure it out. And now I'm coming as an enlightened person for wisdom, because I want to make the most of every opportunity I have under the sun. I want to be like those people that Solomon pointed out from time to time. I want to go home, and I want to enjoy my food and my wine and my family, and I want to rejoice in this world. I realize I can't fix it, I can't predict it, but I want to be those people, and I want to find the wisdom they found. I want to be what what Paul said. I want to make the most of every opportunity, and I want to discern the will of God. Where do I go? What needs to happen for me to get there? And that's the third and the final thing. And Paul says this, wise people obey the Spirit of God in everything so that they do what they discern the will of God to be. And you can see this, right? Uh, Paul says right away, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, what Paul is saying here is this, as you and I live under the sun, there is a member of the Godhead that indwells us, and he is the source of the wisdom that we need. And when we are controlled by that wisdom, when we align ourselves with that wisdom that comes from that spirit, when we are fully controlled, it affects all of the primary relationships in our life. It affects all of the areas in our life. Don't be controlled by something like wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be controlled by the words that the Spirit has given you. Paul says to the Galatians, walk in the Spirit. Walk in line with the Spirit. Take the words that the Spirit gave you and put your feet where those words tell you to put your feet, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Paul said to the Colossians, let the word of Christ, let the words from Christ that he mediates to you through his spirit dwell in you richly. Let them fill you. Let them control you. And, and you know what happens when that happens? When the word of God, that the spirit of God is mediating to you, the word that you're reading begins by the Spirit of God's power to orient the way that you think it changes your communication. Look at the next line here, addressing one another. That's communication. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That, that's not talking about the kind of music you should listen to when you listen to music. That's talking about your communication. Your communication will result in providing deep joy to you when your communication has actually been transformed by the Word of God that has been ministered to you by the Spirit of God. Psalms and hymns, these are references to things that are in the Scripture. When when you go on a quest to discern the wisdom that you need to make the most of every opportunity, Paul says, rely on the words that the Spirit of God has given you. Rely on the words that come from the breath of God, the Ruach in the Old Testament, the Ruach of God, the wind of God. Remember, Solomon said, it's like chasing wind. Well, there is a shepherd who can do that, and he's God. And he has sent the third member of the Trinity to live in you, and he has given that member of the Trinity words, and those words, when you align yourself to them, will transform your communication. They'll also transform your your heart, your spirit, your outlook on life. Notice what he says next. Giving thanks, verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to the God, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't just transform our communication. It transforms our outlook on life. We become deeply grateful for everything in our life. And then finally, it affects every relationship we have in life. Notice how he ends the text in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are rightly arranged in every relationship that we have in life. You say, okay, well, where is all of this going? It's going here. It's going this. There is a wisdom that is available to you as a Christian, as a believer, that when you decide in the days of your youth to remember your creator, to align yourself with God, there is a wisdom that is available to you that will lead you to joy. It will lead you to significance in a world that is deeply broken and it is missing parts. It will help you to navigate life so that when the rest of the world looks at you 25 years from now and they see your marriage and they compare it to their marriages and they see your children and they compare their family to your family or they see your contentment or they see what has happened to you, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, now how in the world did you figure that out? Because I went to college. In fact, I went to Harvard. I went to law school. I got an MBA at Stanford. I, 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 I went the education route. I don't understand how you figured it out. How did you figure out how to do that? Because I look, and, and I'm on my fourth marriage. My kids won't even talk to me. My, my career is in shambles. My life is empty. How did you figure that out? And you're going to say, like the ancient Israelites, I had a 
a book. I had a wisdom. Moses said to the Israelites, the other nations are going to look at you and they're going to want to know how you did that. And you're going to say, this book is my wisdom. I had a book and those people are going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. We know about the Bible. We, we had that. I got like two of them in my house. Yeah, but I had a wisdom. And I had something beyond the book. I had a spirit. I, I had in, in, in me the third member of the Trinity who can chase the wind, who can capture the wind, who can direct the wind, who, who, who created the wind. And, and that spirit gave these words. And when I aligned myself with these words, I got wisdom. And that wisdom over 25 years has justified itself in its children. It's justified itself in the outcomes of my life. It wasn't my wisdom. I didn't get wisdom from TMU. I didn't get wisdom from Harvard or Yale. I got wisdom from a book. And so that me leads me to this question. Are you reading this book regularly? I, mean, I know you're in it for class, but I mean, are you going to this book and saying to the Spirit of God, God, I need wisdom today. I need, I need to know how to navigate today. And I need to know from your word, are you reading the book regularly? Are you studying it diligently? Are you exhausting every effort you have to find out what God really said about things? Not just taking your verse out of context, but really studying out what God said. And then are you joyfully embracing and obeying that word in your life? Because when you do, that is what it means to remember your creator in the days of your youth. You need to pray that for me, and I need to pray that for you. So let's do that and then uh, Johnny will come and close our chapel. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you that you have given us a book that contains wisdom from above that is so different than all of the wisdoms that are available to us here below, the wisdoms of experience and wealth and power and influence and all of those empty wisdoms. You have given us a book, a simple book. And then, Lord, you have given us a spirit that dwells in us, that wrote the words and knows the words and can help us understand the words. And then, Lord, you've told us to set our affections according to those words, that, that Lord, we would actually align our affections by what you have sent from above, your words mediated to us by your Spirit, who enlightens our understanding, who energizes our ability to embrace those words and live by those words. And so, Lord, I pray that for every one of us as we live under the sun in ways that reflect what you've told us to do to fear you and to keep your commandments. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.